We thank you, good Father, for sending your son, Jesus, your beloved one, to live and die among us, to open for us the way of life. Will you send a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit on us this morning, opening us to hear your word and to be shaped by it? For we pray in your son's name. Amen. Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. Have you ever felt that way? God, come down, rip open the heavens and come down. I had a walking buddy uh, for a couple of years, and pretty much every conversation, at some point in the conversation, she would say, come Lord Jesus, by which she was struggling with a lot of things, by which she meant, get me out of here. Uh, that's not exactly what Isaiah, in these words, is saying. But it's similar, right? Life is hard. We need you, God. Oh, that you would rip open. I was going to bring fabric so you could hear it. You know, rip open the heavens and come down. Now, Isaiah was crying out in a time of hardship for God's people. They were in exile because of their sin, we're told. They'd been conquered by the Persians. And even though some of them had been sent back to rebuild the temple, and that had begun, I mean, they were still conquered, right? They, they weren't free. And Isaiah is heartsick for God's people. He recognizes that the reason they're in this mess is because the people turn from God, uh, worshiping idols, doing all the things God said not to do. But still he was heartsick. And so he cries out, and all of us have felt this at some point. Oh, that you would rip open the heavens and come down. That you would show up again, God. We need you now. You know, at the time of Jesus' ministry, God's people were once again a conquered people. This time it wasn't the Persians, it was the Romans. And they did have a certain kind of peace. You know, they kind of coexisted, but nevertheless, they were conquered. They were not free. And in today's gospel lesson, we read about Jesus' baptism, and we hear, see, and experience the heavens being ripped open. Notice this. After Jesus was baptized, as he was praying, the heavens were opened. And any reader who knew the scriptures, reading Luke's gospel for the first time, his or her ears would perk up. The heavens were opened. You're meant to remember Isaiah's cry. Luke was saying, Isaiah's prayer is really being answered this time. Really being answered. And, and notice that it's a visual, it's an audible experience. The heavens were opened and what? The spirit descends in bodily form like a dove. So two, two phrases. He wants you to be sure you get it. This wasn't some kind of fuzzy mirage. This was real and concrete. The spirit descended from those open heavens like a dove. And then we hear a voice. You know this passage. We hear a voice from heaven declaring 
You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. God's voice was audible. Again, no fuzzy little mirage. This is real, concrete, seeable, hearable, experienceable. Now, I've often heard people comment on this part of Jesus' story. They love the fact that the Spirit comes down and that the Father declares Jesus beloved. They say, this proves that God loves us before we do anything. Jesus' ministry hadn't begun. And while I agree with the sentiment, obviously, Jesus loves us before we do anything. He loves us as tiny children. He loved Jesus from the beginning. This passage isn't, doesn't really show that. Because Jesus was doing something, right? Jesus came to John to be baptized. Why was John baptizing? He was baptizing people for the forgiveness of sin. They were eager coming to him, eager awaiting the Messiah. They were cleaning up their lives so they could receive the coming of the Messiah. But Jesus was sinless. And so in Matthew's version, John is horrified when Jesus comes and asks to be baptized. No way, I should be baptizing you. And Jesus says, let it be for now. So in doing this, in being baptized, what, what does Jesus say? He's saying, I am identifying with my people who are sinful. I am identifying with their sin and with their turning to God. In other words, in his baptism, he begins to do ministry. He begins carrying the weight of our sin. A mission that obviously he'll fulfill as his life goes on and ultimately in his death and resurrection. And notice that it's at this point, it's at this point of identifying with our sin and with our repenting and with the turning of those around him that the heavens are ripped open and the Holy Spirit comes down. Do you remember what happens next? Any of you? Do you remember in Luke's story what happens next? Right, good. So far, every service has gotten an A on that one. Right, some of you know. The next thing that happens is the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted by the devil. And actually, it's this time of 40 days of fasting and praying and being with God that equip him to be able to overcome the wiles of the evil one. And once this happens, once he sends the devil off, having won that battle, his public ministry begins. In Matthew and Luke, it begins with this great proclamation that you've heard before. Repent, for the kingdom of the heavens is accessible to all. The kingdom of heavens is here at hand now. The spirit no longer is something that pops on a person here or there to accomplish one particular task in the history of God. Now, the kingdom of the heavens, the, the, the glories of the, the, the 
uh, all, the gifts of the heavenlies are accessible to all. In Luke's gospel, Jesus' ministry begins a little differently. He's speaking in the synagogue, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he quotes Isaiah, right? Fulfilling those words of Isaiah in a, in a couple of chapters later. His purpose is he sent me to proclaim good news to the poor. Some of you could probably memorize this. Liberty to the captive, sight to the blind, liberty to the oppressed, to proclaim the year of God's favor, the year of jubilee. In other words, both places, the same ultimate message is there. God's kingdom, God's riches, the heavens have been open and are accessible. God is on move with his people in a brand new way. Well, in a brand new way, consistent with the ways he worked before, but now available to all of us. And at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, after his death, resurrection, before his ascension, do you remember what he says to his disciples? Wait until you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive power from the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. You will follow up, do the things I've been doing, proclaim this same availability of God's kingdom. And that's exactly what happens, right? As the heavens were opened up for Jesus at his baptism, now at the end of his ministry, the heavens are opened up, the Spirit comes down on the disciples, this time not as a dove, but as fire, flames of fire landing on the disciples who are ready and waiting, ready, commissioned by Jesus. And the Spirit comes on them, and what happens? They speak with boldness, we're told. And they speak in tongues, in different languages, so that all the foreigners... Uh, in Jerusalem for the Passover, hear it. Hear the praising of God in their own language. They understand already, even though they're still in Jerusalem, all the nations of the world, of the known world, are hearing the good news of God in Jesus. And interestingly, as you read through the New Testament, there's an interesting thing you notice about the Holy Spirit. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes, it's marked by empowerment. I mean, it's not just, it doesn't just come to make us cozy, to make us feel close to God. Of course, that happens. But the Holy Spirit comes to empower disciples to share the good news of God's kingdom that it's accessible, God's love and power and joy are accessible to all, even outsiders, even people we wouldn't expect, even Gentiles, even those that, eh, I don't think so. No, them too. God is welcoming in. And that's what happened to Peter. And you heard a little bit about it 
in the words that Alicia just read for us. Did you notice it? Now, let me talk a little bit about the verses they, they left out because they didn't want you to have to sit through a very long reading. But they left out the first part. Right before what Alicia read is the story of Peter's threefold vision. Three times he, see, he hears or sees in a vision this sheep coming down with unclean animals. And uh, Peter, an observant Jew, is horrified, especially when he hears God's voice say, arise, Peter, kill and eat. He's like, Ugh. right? No way. And he says that to God. No way, God. I, I love you. I do your thing. So I'm not going to do this. So God does the same thing again. And even a third time, don't call what I call clean unclean, he says. Startling, confusing vision. Peter's wondering what the heck is going on. And then, just as this happens, a member of Cornelius, a Gentile's household, comes, knocks on the door, and says, we've been sent to bring you to us. And so Peter recognizes, now I understand, he says, that it's open to all, even the Gentiles. Jesus' life and ministry is open to them too. Jesus came not just for Jews, not just for the in-group, but for the whole world, for Gentiles, for untouchables, for everyone. How had he missed it? Really. I mean, if you read the Bible, it's there. It's there from beginning to end. Abraham is called to be blessed so that all the nations of the world would be blessed through him. Right there at the beginning of the formation of God's people, it's there. Peter hadn't seen it. All through the Old Testament, you have these examples of God touching Gentiles, people the Jews thought were out of bounds, but God doesn't. And then in Jesus' ministry, do you remember how many times it's the Gentiles who understand? It's the Samaritan leper who comes back and says thank you. It's the Syrophoenician woman whose daughter is healed because he trust, she trusts him even though she's not supposed to get it. How the centurion is extolled as one whose faith is greater than any in the house of Israel. Right? Over and over in Jesus' life. It's not just for the in crowd. It's not just for observant Jews. It's for Gentiles too. But Peter hadn't gotten it. Even now. Living with Jesus for three years. Still didn't get it. Until this vision. Until Cornelius, the representative from Cornelius household comes until he comes into in Cornelius's house and sees the whole of them gathered to hear, eager to hear. What, for whatever reason, his cultural presuppositions had hidden for him, from him this important fact, this heart of God for all the nations. Now, he understands. And then did you notice in what Alicia read, did you notice that he explains the gospel? He explains who Jesus is, reminding them that they've seen some of this. He talks about Jesus' baptism 
his anointing by the Holy Spirit. He talks about Jesus' life of bringing healing to so many, of loving and chasing off the devil. He explained how Jesus died and rose from the dead on our behalf and how he commanded his followers to be witnesses, offering the forgiveness of sins that only Jesus makes possible. And as he explains it, it's so fun, isn't it? In the middle of a speech, the heavens are ripped open again. The Holy Spirit falls on these Gentiles, Cornelius' whole household. And he and Peter and his companions are shocked. They can't believe it. But here, they see with their own eyes, they hear with their own ears, this group of Gentiles speaking in tongues as had they had when the Spirit came on them, extolling, our translation says, praising God beyond what you would expect them to understand. The Holy Spirit fell on all who heard. They couldn't deny what they saw, Peter and his companions. And so, Peter says, what, you know, how can we not baptize these people? They have the same spirit as us. Clearly, God is at work. And he does. They baptize them, welcoming them into their fellowship, welcoming them as those for whom the heavens were open, welcoming them as people whose sins are forgiven by Jesus, as those, too, who are empowered to share his witness to the ends of the earth. You know, in our baptism, we follow Jesus' example. We recognize our sin, including our corporate sin. We turn toward him, and we trust that the heavens have been opened for us, that the Spirit has come down and will come down on each of us as we repent and turn to him, that the Holy Spirit will equip us, enable us for service to him, including sharing the good news with others, even those surprising outsiders. And, you know, we're kind of like Peter, too, I think, sometimes. We have our own cultural lenses that make us think he or she would never get it, right? But the Holy Spirit calls us, challenges us, to reach across those barriers, to have our brains reshaped by the Spirit. And today, this morning, we baptize one of our babies, welcoming him, Logan, into our community. You'll remember from participating in baptism services that whenever we do a baptism, all of us participate. Sure, the baby or the adult is baptized, welcomed into the community of faith, but we reiterate, we reiterate, we reaffirm our own baptismal vows. We reaffirm that we will turn away from evil, that we will turn toward God, that we will participate once again in God's mission with the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's the message of all of Epiphany, isn't it? The message of Epiphany, which we celebrate starting last week, all the way to Ash Wednesday, which is at the beginning of March this year, so you've got a few more weeks. We celebrate that the heavens 
have opened up. The Spirit has come down. That we can experience God's power in our lives to receive forgiveness of sins, to live a new life of love and power, to participate in God's mission to the world, including to so-called outsiders, both here and abroad. You know, one of the things I most love about Truro, there are a lot of things, but one of the things that I most love is Truro's commitment to participate in God's mission to love the world. You know, as I've asked around the church in groups and with individuals, what's Truro's core? What's Truro's hallmark? It's sine qua non. Over and over, I've heard the same thing. Well, I've heard a bunch of things, but this mission, this idea of mission, Truro is about mission, I hear again and again. Mission to the neighborhood and mission to the nations. It's been a part of your history from long ago, and it's still part of your life. In fact, a lot of people told me how much they hope that this part of Truro's life would flourish and grow in the months ahead. Last week, you heard a little bit about our ministry with internationals, how we have at least 50 volunteers, and we're reaching people in so many different countries as they are eager to learn English, offering hospitality in many ways. And it's also been gratifying to see the response to Truro Cares with tangible gifts, whether backpacks or baby needs or gift cards, to meet the needs of those locally. And also, Truro has a long history of supporting missionaries, and we're hoping to strengthen that ministry, letting you know specifically how to pray and support them. We'll be showing videos during Epiphany, and uh, there'll be copies of those videos that you can link on in our T-mail. I know that Truro's missionary heart is pleasing to God as a church that loves the work of the Holy Spirit, those things go together, right? The outpouring of the Holy Spirit and mission to the, world, to the neighborhood and the world. And it certainly is God's hope that each of us in some little or big way will participate in this mission to love our neighbors near and far. And it's my prayer that in this season especially, but of course all the time, but especially celebrated in Epiphany, that we will remember and experience in fresh new ways that the heavens have been opened. The heavens are open. God's spirit is available for all of us. And we are called into this humbling privilege of participating in God's work in the world. We are lucky. We are empowered by God's spirit. And it's my prayer that we'll continue to say yes. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your baptism in which you identified with our sin. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who descended upon you in bodily form. 
we thank you for your Holy Spirit that came in Pentecost and that came on Cornelius' household, reminding us of the availability of your kingdom for all of us. And we thank you for the privilege of serving you, of walking with you, of participating with you in your great desire to love and empower the world. Pour out a fresh anointing of your spirit on us this morning and in the days to come. Help us to know which piece of your work you've called us to. And individually and together as a congregation, help us to say yes to the empowering of your Holy Spirit and to the mission to which you've called us. We know, God, that you want to answer this prayer. And so we thank you in advance that we will see it. In Christ's name, amen. <laughs>